I want to look on the theme of a gracious God for desperate times. And uh, I came upon this in the midst of our stewardship campaign that we do once every three years. One, because I'm reading the book of 1 Samuel. Are any of you following Samuel in your Bible reading guide? So I happen to read it, and I'm always moved by it. Uh, another reason is we have five children we're going to be uh, celebrating and uh, offering, as it were, to the Lord in Thanksgiving today. So I thought that would certainly fit this theme. And then I thought about uh, uh, our giving to God and the giving of this woman. Oh, what a gift she gave. Oh, what a time she gave. And uh, we want to see three things today. Uh, how that you can be loved but unfulfilled. And we see this in the life of Hannah, a loved woman by her husband but yet unfulfilled, quite striking. Two, uh, just simply at the theme that God is a refuge in times of trouble. In times of trouble, where do you go when you're in trouble and when you're desperate? And three, uh, God's gifts to us, what are we doing with them? God's gifts to us, and what are we to do with them? Let's just uh, see the times. The times of the book of Judges, uh, and the two uh, most rare glimpses of light we get in all the dismal failure of Israel during the time of the judges, their backsliding, their idolatry, uh, they're being conquered by foreign powers, all of that. The only gleam of hope we get is the book of Ruth and now this woman, Hannah. Uh, these women who were trusting God in desperate times and found God to be more than enough. And so we hear we have a man uh, that he has two wives, which was not uncommon in biblical times. God never endorsed polygamy. And one reason, you could see the fighting between the wives, the confusion. But what was common is if the first wife could not give you an heir, you could go out and get another wife. Uh, I'm just really glad this wasn't Henry VIII. It's real hard on the women. Uh, what was he, married five, decapitated a few along the way or had them hung. Uh, give me an heir or you're dead. And here Elkanah obviously loved Hannah, but it says that in verse 5 that she was loved though the Lord had closed her womb. Here's the problem. I'm a loved wife, but I'm barren. And for a Jewish woman, especially in hope of bearing the Messiah, this was bad news. Uh, the barrenness was not just barrenness. She couldn't go to the gynecologist. She couldn't get any in vitro help. In their theology, right or wrong, it was the idea you must be under a curse. Uh, you must have, uh, you must have uh, made God angry with you. God's against you. Uh, loved, but under a curse. Loved, 
but barren. And here's quite a lesson for us men. I love you, baby. Everything ought to be all right with you. And she doesn't want to break it to you, but she's wanting to say, you're not enough. You're not enough. You see, God is designed in all of creation. There's nothing in creation that will ever be able to ultimately satisfy you lest it replace God. I don't care if it's money, sex, food, pleasure, power, position, uh, whatever you want, God has designed all good things that he gives to leave enough void in there that, you know, it's not everything. He's everything. He's the only one that can, oh, but we often turn the gifts into idols, and we go after the idols, and so here you've got this woman, I'm loved by this man who's given me a double portion, but I am unfulfilled. I could in my psyche, it doesn't say this, feel like God is against me. God has obviously been the one that's made me barren. How can this be? How can you be God's child and be barren? How can you be God's child and not have perfect health? How can you be God's child and have the afflictions of Job? Have you ever felt like God was against you? I think of the Lord Jesus. If he didn't say it, the crowd said it. He's under a curse. Even God has abandoned him. And it's quite an amazing thing to know that you can be loved by God and you can even be loved by others and still be miserable in your soul. I think of uh, uh, the issue of Christian dating and marriage. I've seen uh, uh, young women, men, hey, I like to be married. I'd like to be married to a godly person. I like to build a home. And I hear from both sexes, you just can't find a good woman. And the women are saying, then you can't find a good man. And guess what happens? Here's the biggie. You found each other, and you're still miserable. Because, and, and, and I hear this all the time, my husband's just not meeting me. This is a common one. Uh, my husband just won't lead me. And you're really saying, he just doesn't fulfill me. We told you he wouldn't, but you didn't believe us because that kissing was perfected. And you think it's all the physical. And you don't know, you can even be happily married and still be unfulfilled. Because no man can fill the deepest need of the heart, and no woman can fulfill the deepest. They can fulfill your need for a wife or a husband and companionship. But here's a woman that is treated well by her husband, is loved. But now she's, it's interesting, she's being ridiculed and sort of tormented by the woman who is obviously being blessed by God to bear the children. You see, Elkanah, he went after the one woman he loved, Hannah. 
But the one that can really bear the children was the second wife. It's back to the Rachel Leah story. Of course, Jacob was deceived in the whole deal. Here it is, Abraham. He loves Sarah. She remained a beautiful woman up into her years. Still beautiful, but no heir. Is this Eliezer going to inherit everything I've got? Uh, and she said, well, you know what? Hagar's here. I'll give you permission. Sleep with her. We've got to get you a posterity. And we see this situation here in desperate times in the book of Judges that a compassionate God could actually become involved in helping a woman have a baby. Will God stoop to your problem? Is God interested in you and those things that you long for, for fulfillment? Not sinful. I just want a baby. I want a baby. So the second scene goes that God is a present help, a refuge in times of trouble. She goes up with her husband, ridiculed all the way by uh, the rival wife. And in verse 9, they get to Shiloh, and Eli's there with his worthless sons that are seducing the women, stealing scoundrels that should have been disciplined and will be judged by God and killed in chapter 4. And she's there, she's praying. Four times it actually says she prayed. She's deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord in verse 10. She wept bitterly. And in the midst of that, she vowed a vow and said, Will you not look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant? And by the way, in the Old Testament, it says God remembers since he's omniscient. He never forgets anything. But it was a word, act on my behalf. Will you act on my behalf? Remove what I see as a curse. Remove the barrenness. Remove the ridicule. Remove the emptiness that I feel. I want a child. And here she does something that seems reckless. If you'll remember me and give me a son, you see, daughters, eh, son keeps the name going. All the men wanted a son. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She kept on praying. And Eli looks at her says, I got a drunk woman on my hands. Because when they went up to the festal season three times a year, being intoxicated was not uncommon. Not even in a wild party sense, but they drank a lot of wine, a lot of eating. And so Eli, of course, she takes it to be, you think I'm a worthless kind of woman. She said, I'm not drunk. I'm burdened. I'm heavy-hearted. It's kind of bad when the religious leader misinterprets your emotions. How long will you go on being drunk? No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've not drank wine or strong drink. I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. I'm speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. And so she pleads, and he simply puts a blessing. May God grant you what you request. He didn't make it happen. But may God grant you what you request. 
Sometimes I think there's little desperate praying that goes on. Everything's casual. Some of you, the only prayer life you've got is praying over meals. Some of you don't know what it is to be an emotional wreck in the presence of God. Pray out, pray out of great longing, anxiety. I'm troubled. And what's your trouble? You've got a wealthy husband. He can afford two wives. Uh, hey, you're at the place of worship. Uh, your husband gives you a double portion, your favor. There's something I'm longing for that in my own spirit I'm troubled by. I'm a woman in desperate times in a desperate crisis. He said in Psalms 9-9, in verse 10, Carol and I chose that as our memory verse last year. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in the time of trouble. Those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. You never seek God without him hearing you. You never seek God without God intervening. If you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. The seeking, desperate soul, where do you go? You want a Christian mate. Maybe some of you are saying, everybody else gets ahead, but we can't get ahead. We're always broke. We can't get ahead financially. I can't get ahead in relationships. I can't, uh, I can't get over, I can't get well. I mean, I, I heard this morning about our sister Kathy, been fighting cancer for 10 years and is having another bout of being laid low. That was Leo on Friday. And oh, the struggle this man has gone through. A Bible teacher, an elder, godly man in this church. Why can't I get well? What have I done wrong? A daughter, another back surgery facing her. How long? Ten years of this? Cancer, death, wayward children. Hey, there's other Christian families. All their kids are serving the Lord. Why aren't mine? I remember Ruth Fox so often. Many times when I preached to Ruth Fox, she never lifted her head during the sermon. She was a mother to five sons whom none of them up to this time that I know have ever put faith in Christ. And they were missions givers. They were givers. They were lovers. They were workers. They were some of the finest Christians you would meet and five boys that have never wanted their God. And they're thinking, can you imagine thinking, why doesn't God save our kids? Why doesn't God move in our family? Why doesn't God do anything with our lives? We seem to be in a barren place. We got a mother in this church today fighting for a 14-year-old daughter, fighting for her life, fighting for her future. And sometimes we must be careful. We could be the other wife who are having the children, having the prosperity, having the health, having everything, and instead of being a comfort, we can ridicule those that don't have it. But you must not be right with God. It's sin in your life. I'm, I see it in the Spirit. You're in sin. 
Because prosperity preachers say you can't ever be sick and you can't ever be broke. Well, they're false teachers. The Bible's full of people that were sick, full of people suffering. I'll take Job. I won't take the prosperity preachers. God can let you get sick. You can scrape the boils. And now everybody come along. These wonderful comforters ridicule, pour salt in the wounds because God's got to break you to make you a comforter. That's why some of you are headed for great trials because you're too arrogant to ever comfort. When your heart's been broken, when you've been broken by trials and by life and by disappointments, when ill health may strike you, may take a loved one, who knows? It's a humbling thing. Are we of any help to the suffering? Are we saying, well, if you were really living for God like me, you wouldn't have these troubles? Are we saying, if God could bless me, he can bless you? If God, I cried to the Lord in my desperation. I took my problems to the Lord. When I didn't have health, I had God. When I didn't have money, I had God. When I didn't have friends, I had God. I'm a desperate woman, Eli. I'm going to God. He's a present help in time of trouble. A God who wants to hear you when you're going through it, when nobody else, when the religious leaders can't figure you out. I'm glad I don't go to a preacher when I'm in trouble. I go to a high priest whose name is Jesus, and he bears five wounds for me. You got to get your case to him. He's your only hope. Get it to him. I wouldn't even book a counseling appointment until I wept out my soul in the presence of the one that could do. All counselors can do is listen to you, give you a little advice. Only Jesus can make you have a baby. Only Jesus can come through with the answer. We're big on diagnosing. You know, you need something. Yeah, I do. That's why I'm here. Said, so you better get to someone that can do something about it. You know what? He's called God. And he listens to the cry of desperate people. Desperate people. And you know what's wrong so much in the church today? It hasn't got bad enough to drive us to our knees. We got the good times. We got pro- we're griping about one thing after another, and yet we've got more prosperity than we've ever seen. More prosperity and more stingy Christians than have ever been in this country. The prosperity went up, and their hearts shrunk. He said in Deuteronomy 28, 47, because you didn't serve me with gladness and prosperity, I will curse you, and I will visit you with trouble. If you don't want to serve God when it's good, he knows how to make it rougher. He can make it rougher. Israel, serve me when you're prospering. So here he says, I'm a very present help. She prays. She calls out to God. He puts a benediction on her. They go home. She sleeps with her husband. Ah! Conception takes place. Nine or ten months later, She's got a baby in her arms, and when the baby came, they named him Samuel. If you know any Hebrew, E-L, what's that? That's God. That's Elohim. So we know it's tied to Elohim, but the first part, the consonant, it's debated. It means ask for, requested, 
granted. The idea of the translation is, Samuel, I'm going to name you, and you're going to become my memorial of my desperate cry, my desperate prayer meeting, and I'm going to name you Samuel, and when you walk through the door, I'm going to say, here comes my answer. Here comes my answer. For your name means ask of Elohim. Ask of God. Do you have any Samuels in your life that you cried in desperation and God rescued you and God answered that prayer and God came through and you can say, here comes another Samuel. Here comes another answer walking through the door. Years ago when I first saw this passage and I was reading it, it reminded me of our own family's history Let's say uh, 1933, El Dorado, Kansas. Anybody back there then? Okay, El Dorado. Our folks are there. A few years before, uh, they had a boy named Lawrence John Jr. He was run over by a truck in front of my mother when he was four. So the firstborn is killed. They've got my sister, Hazel. All right, then... They have another son named Monty Ray Howard. Monty Ray, when my mother was delivering, they, they called for the doctor who was at a card game and was drunk. And so when he came, he put the four steps on the baby's head and crushed his skull. And so he died within 48 hours. So that's two sons down. We got one girl still standing. And my mother then has two or three miscarriages. And they figure their childbearing days are over. They got a girl. We'll keep, keep the girl. That's why she turned out being so tough. But my dad began to pray. I heard he began to pray. If you just give me one more son, just one more, I'll name him after the greatest preacher I've ever read about. I'll name him after the apostle Paul. So, 1933, Paul shows up. And they said every time he came to the table, they can say, there's our Samuel. There's, a, there's our answer. But good night. They got reckless. <laughs> Next comes David Leon. Ooh, let's close it down. Then comes Naomi Ruth. Then here comes Omega, Philip. That means last. God gave him five sons, two daughters, took two boys, but he got to keep five. Got anything in your life you've asked God for that only God could have given? Would God give you a Samuel today if you would desperately cry to him for help? Is the God of Hannah still alive? In these desperate times, will God hear desperate people offer desperate prayers? I think so. If not, it's more desperate than we realize. Third thing I would have us just pay attention to is uh, what do we do with God's gifts? Now, here's what this woman does in prayer. Numbers 6 said, if you wanted to dedicate your life, you did this yourself. You could dedicate yourself as a Nazarite and a Nazarite vow says, I drink no wine. I don't even eat grapes. I stay away from anything that could be fermented. 
I won't cut my hair. And the whole idea was I'm totally separate from God. And this was done by adult men or women, and it was done for a period, a duration. It wasn't uh, for life. Now, Samson is an example. He broke all kinds of vows, but he was supposed, but that hair he didn't cut until he was seduced and deceived. So that Nazarite vow was a strong, but he was, she prayed, give me a son, and I'm going to put him under a Nazarite vow. She's doing it for the boy not born yet. I'll put him under this vow for life. And two, I'm going to let him be a priest for life. Now, the Levitical priesthood, you only serve from age 25 to age 50. That's what I've tried to get the church to do to get me to retire at 50. Too late. 25 years, then they stepped out of the, the priesthood. They were still a Levite, but they didn't do priestly ministry no longer. So here she said, I've given the boy... Then she goes, the husband said, well, let's take him up. Let's keep our vow. And she said, no, no, let, let me at least wean him. And Josephus, the great Jewish historian, said, Jewish women usually nurse till age three. Then you read other scholars like Kyle and Delich. Did she uh, take a three-year-old and drop him off with Eli? And uh, Kyle and Delich think it was more like he was 13. The idea is, I'm going to at least potty train, wean, and get him, maybe he's going to the, we're not exactly sure, but we know after the weaning process, three years at least, somewhere in there, when he would be a liability and a hardship on an aging priest, Eli, somewhere in there, she goes with the husband, they go up to Shiloh, and I, I want you to help me here. And I think of you parents that are going to have us pray over your children today. And daddy, can you imagine only having one child that you asked God for, and God answered your prayer, and you carry him through with your vow and just saying, there, bye, Samuel. God answered my prayer. I'm going to answer my vow. You're his. And just go back. Go back to where you came from. How many mothers in this place could do that? It's, it, it's just unimaginable. You talk about movie material, tear jerker, to see this devout, desperate woman carry through on the vow. And she goes there. I hate saying goodbye. The last time I flew to Denver to go to school, my wife and children and my mother came, and there's so much crying. I said, never again. Just drop me off at the curb. I can't take it. <laughs> it was just too emotional. John Patton, in his biography, he was the son of a Scottish Presbyterian covenanter, they called them. Great Christian family. Dad was a praying man. Could hear him pray in the basement all the time. Patton decides he's going to go to Glasgow, about 40 miles plus away from home. He's going to train for the ministry. He winds up going to the New Hebrides, the cannibalistic islands off of Australia. 
he records this. He said, as long as he lived, he repeated this scene of the day he left to walk 40 miles to catch a train to go for his theological training. He was go saying goodbye to home. And this is what he says. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. Could you imagine walking six miles with your boys? He's getting ready to go to college. So I want to walk with you the first six miles. Different day. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on the parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand, while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow, but later white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. For half a mile, they couldn't talk to each other. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer, and in tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could and went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back, and I saw him still standing with head uncovered, holding the hat in the hand where I left him, gazing after me, waving my hat in adieu, I was round the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. Just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him, climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face towards home, and began to return. His head still uncovered and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for him. I watched through blinding tears until his form faded from my eyes. And for the rest of my life, this scene has kept me when I wanted to stray I wanted to do nothing to shame my dear old dad and mom. What a moving picture. What have you promised God in desperate times? Desperate times that make you promise God a lot of stuff. It's amazing what you could promise God in a foxhole. What you could promise God is, work this out, work this out, and I'll honor you. I'll, I'll put you first in my life. I'll come back. I was talking to Andrew. And he reminded me. 
visited him at a hospital in Vallejo. The boy's been through so many surgeries. Built like a Rambo, but all the injuries and surgeries and the healing. Stubborn Dutch boy. Got it from his dad. Strong. But God broke him. He told me today on that hospital bed, he said, if you'll get me well, I'll come back to you. If you get me well, I'll come back. And he has. What about this matter of if you give me a good woman, give me a good man, we'll serve God together. We'll put Christ first. We'll do things your way. And I've seen one relationship after another as soon as you get that person that likes you and you like them. So many times they start living together, leave the church, start having an immoral relationship. It's their thank you to God for answering prayer. You brought me someone I could sin with. God heard you in desperate times. Give me a job, Lord. We need a good job. What will you do with it, and what are you doing with it now that he gave it? Give me eternal life. Give me ability. Give me talent. Whatever it is, I'll give it back to you. I can't give anything you don't give me first. Children, are you raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? We're going to have these parents come. The bigger issue is how they live and how they train these precious lives. We don't know if we'll have an Al Capone or a Billy Graham. None of us know. It's not too real hopeful, but it's reality. Who knows what they're going to do? But oh, the potential that will be before us today as we look on these babies. The potential for good, for God. I've heard pieces and parts of a poem for years that A.B. Simpson wrote. It's called Himself. Let me conclude with the famous lines from that poem, that he says this, Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, here's the line, now the giver owned. Give me, give me, give me, Lord. Give me your gifts so I can become an idol worshiper. I'll worship my job. I'll worship the child. I'll worship the money. I'll, I'll worship the woman you gave. Wait, God's blessings weren't meant to make us idol worshipers. The giver is greater than the gift. He can take the gift anytime he wants. If you lose everything, Job, and you still have God, you're still a rich man. That's why once in a while he strips us of things. said, it's become your God. It's become your significance. It's become your word, your health, your money, your whatever. Hey, hey, do you remember when it was just you and I and a desperation? Once his gifts I wanted. Give me, give me, give me, Lord. But he said, he learned. Now the giver I own. I want him, or do you? That's up to you. Once I sought for healing, now 
himself alone. Once it was working, hence it shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. God sees our heart. What will you do if God blesses you? If God hears you, what will you do with the answer? What are you praying for? What are you desperate for? What are you satisfied with? This woman kept her vow. There's a lot of liars in church, a lot of hypocrites. I'm always in the, always a step from being it, or if I'm not it. I'm much better at preaching than practicing. I'm much better at telling you how to live than living it myself. It's easy to tell people. Tell, it's easy to ridicule people that don't have, and you seem to be on the better end of the deal. Beware, beware. Our prosperity was meant to turn us into comforters, to turn us into givers, to turn us into burden sharers. If you've got prosperity, would you share it with any of God's people? Would you feed a poor man? Would you give to a ministry that wants to reach a bunch of kids? Or do you always go back? After the desperation promises, it's easy to say, well, you know, Lord, uh, on the day we're going up to Shiloh, God, you know, you can kind of get desperate when you need a baby. Uh, could we, could we kind of edit the contract? I meant I would loan him. The word is loan, but she meant loan him for life. And she did. And he became the pivotal priestly prophetic influence that introduces us eventually to David the king. God wants to bless you, but he doesn't want you to lie to him. He wants to bless you, but he doesn't want you to love his gifts more than you love him. God's heard your cry. He's a gracious God in desperate times that stoops as far as hearing a mother's cry.